hello, and welcome back to Agency Nation Radio. My name is Ryan Hanley. I am your host, as always. And uh, we took a little break there uh, for the 4th of July, post-Elevate kind of thing, but we're back in business. And uh, my first guest on the show is someone I'm, I'm super excited about. I was just mentioning to him, I really enjoy the conversations we get to have, even though most of the time they're they're fairly brief as we're, we're crossing paths to ships, uh, to speakers in the night, I guess you could say, uh, at various insurance conferences. I have Bill Wilson, the founder, CEO, thought leader behind insurancecommentary.com. But most of you will know him as um, the Vice President of Education and Research at the Big Eye, founder of Big Eye University and various other programs, uh, does a lot of education programs. Uh, you, I still see you on um, teaching some continuing education, Bill. You're, you're, you're still pretty involved in, in that space as well. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing less and less in that. I, I want to focus most of my attention I technically retired in December, and I, I I want to write about a lot of stuff. But it's still great to get out and and see people face to face. Yeah, I um, you know, I I the the writing part I get, you know, um, you've been doing a lot of writing, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on on kind of some of the things that are going on in the marketplace, in particular. Uh, at least one of the the veins that I know you're writing about a lot, which is the insure tech space. And, um, you know, I think my own opinion is is constantly uh, flowing back and forth. Uh, I think where I tend to land is um, there's some really interesting ideas. Uh, I think from a marketing perspective, there's some some genius ideas. From an insurance business perspective, I question a lot of their models, and um, and I guess the the piece and and maybe I don't know where else to start other than this, but the piece that has frustrated me the most, um, it, or frustrated is probably the wrong word, um, the thing that's interested me the most is that the the perspective most of these insure tech uh, players that are moving into the market take is that. Uh, they are under the impression that insurance consumers are are they feel they would be better served without a human involved. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, that's like when I look at these things, that's it always comes back to if we can get the humans out of the way, then insurance will be easy. And I'm just not sure that the marketplace is demanding that, um, nor has it been proven out that that's an effective model. Yeah, I. I- no, I guess it's there. There's technology today. It's growing in leaps and bounds. Of the things you can do that you couldn't do five, ten years or, or further back. That it's kind of cool to be able to do that stuff. And I'm I'm one of them. I I may come across sometimes as a technophobe, but I'm not. I I had a personal computer before anybody even knew, at least the public, that IBM was working on one. So I've always embraced technology and and uh, and and used it where it was appropriate, but it's not always appropriate. And that's one thing that bothers me about the so-called disruptors is a lot of what they're doing isn't new. It just has a technology component. It's, it's got a phone app, then it's revolutionary and, and going to change the industry. And it's just another tool for the most part. But the, the thing that really bothers me about a lot of them is they just don't seem to understand the industry. They don't understand why it exists, what our mission is, you know, or our core number one mission is to help individuals, families, and organizations 
protect themselves from serious or catastrophic financial loss. And some of the claims of these disruptors, you know, we can we can quote your homeowner's insurance in one minute. There's no way you can help somebody identify their exposures to loss, property, liability, etc., in a minute or two minutes or three minutes. And the uh, I think it's been attributed to Einstein. I'm not sure if he actually was coined the phrase, but uh, everything should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. Where there's a limit to how simple you can go when your primary function is to identify loss exposures and find the right risk management technique, in our case, for the most part, insurance, to address those exposures. And the you can't do that by what they call enhancing the customer experience with a phone app. And also, I've seen some things recently where, uh, uh, I'm not sure if it was Facebook or, or, or where I came across it, but some folks complaining where they had a, had a problem with the company, say, like Lemonade, and they had couldn't find a phone number. They wanted to talk to somebody that kept running into dead ends using their app, and they needed to talk to a human being. They couldn't even find a phone number to get in touch with them. So you, you can't limit your tool chest to just an app. It's got to have phone, fax, whatever, whatever means of communication that suits that purpose at that time. You know, it, that's a really interesting point. So um, we were talking a little bit about, I know you love to write, I do too, uh, before, and I was actually working on an article before we went on this podcast. And um, one of the things that I was talking about was how, is, is exactly that point you just made, was uh, that a lot of these insure tech startups, especially the ones that are mobile first or app based or, you know, that have tried to completely remove the human from the customer experience, um, they, they hold this up as this bastion of the future, right? Yet really, and then, and then, you know, and then they say, you know, those, those, the, those traditional model agents, those independent agents, or, you know, a lot of times they don't use the word independent, they use the word traditional. Um, you know, they, they only want to do business the way they want to do business. You know, this is the way to do business now. Yet really, they're just as selfish as as the agents who refuse to work via text message, right? Or refuse to respond to someone via email or whatever. Because what they're saying is, I only want you to go down this one path that I've created to make my business super efficient. I don't necessarily care that your experience is great as long as you go through my app and you fill out the forms in the in the proceed you know in the in the sequence that I've determined is the most optimal. And as soon as you want to go outside that experience, they can't help you. So it's like, yes, they're using tech, but ultimately the same people they're, they're banging on for, for only working face-to-face or you know, only working in a local market, what have you, um, they're doing the same things. It's, it's, it, it really is no different. Um, and it's, it's just a PR machine that makes it feel different. Well, it, it, I mean, that's a great point. I, I'm not sure I'd really thought about it from that perspective that they're yeah, it's it's something I, I like using phone apps. I, I like uh, using email instead of telephone the vast majority of the time. But I really hadn't thought of it that way from that perspective that much of this may just be for their own convenience. You Clearly, you can use, in many cases, technology much more efficiently and cost effectively than human beings that you have to pay salaries and take vacations and medical insurance and all that stuff. But, you know, I, like you say, I wonder how much of this is just hype where they're trying to sell their technology just because it is cheaper, but not necessarily better in the right 
position. It's kind of like the whole thing about uh, big data. That's another one of the, the rants that I get on sometimes is on big data, that everything you read about big data is how how fantastic it is for the insurance company, how it benefits them. And every now and then they'll throw a bone to the consumer, but uh, there are also downsides to big data that, uh, that, that can hurt consumers, and you never hear that address. It's always about what's good for the supplier and not the end user, other than the claim constantly that uh, it enhances the customer experience when the real the real experience you want to enhance is the claim experience by paying a claim that's that's covered, and that's what's neglected. When you can't when you don't spend the time to identify the exposures, you don't put the right products in place. And luckily for many of these these folks, most people don't from a year to year basis don't have claims. I think uh, I think it's still the case that the um, the average homeowner's homeowner has a claim about once every decade. And with auto, it's about once every seven years. But although I think lately that's uh, that's changing somewhat. But you yeah, don't have texting and driving either. is uh, texting and driving or distracted driving is uh, drastically increased. Uh, small claims on auto policies. Yeah, yeah, that frequency. Um. So you know, you know, one of the uh, to, to your point, you know. I, how I've started to frame this in my mind um, and how we look at these various pieces of technology because uh, the God's honest truth is trustedchoice.com. You know, we've been looking at uh, chatbot technology as well, you know, because because if there's a way to help people find the information they're looking for faster and more efficiently um, versus like a standard search bar or something, and it's a, it's a, 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 a bot that knows if you ask about homeowners, well, here's the three most commonly uh, viewed homeowners articles, right? And boom, it, it pops up. I mean, there's there's ways to use it to improve the customer experience. So we've been looking into some of this stuff. And the question, uh, and actually, I know you're you know Marty Agather as well. The question we keep going back and forth on is effectiveness versus efficiency, right? And I think um, you know, and 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 what the IA value proposition really is. I, I don't know that our value proposition is ever going to be efficiency. And and to your point, what you just said probably nor should it right like if our value proposition is ever strictly efficiency then we're probably doing something wrong so it's like efficiency to the point that you can be as effective as you can be i guess is, is that kind of combining what you just said i mean is that is that kind of where we're at here i, I i'm trying to give our audience a frame of reference for some of this technology because we get we get asked a lot of questions about well hey you know i see that you know, this company over here that's getting a lot of press can do X. Is there any way that I can do something like that and still be in the agency that I am? You know what I mean? I'm trying to give them a filter in which to work through. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is uh, uh, efficiency is uh, doing things right and effectiveness is doing the right things. And probably at, at each extreme that each party is doing some of the right things, but there's no reason as you say, why agents can't adopt a lot of the things that uh, the insure tech folks are bringing to the table. And I, I give them credit for doing that, for challenging the status quo. And it's up to a lot of the carriers to step up and, and abandon those old legacy systems where you have chunks of code that are coded in COBOL from the 1950s and uh, and get with it. So, uh, yeah, I can I can see how both both sides have something to offer, but there's no reason why an agent can't do a lot of what uh, 
what the InsureTech folks are doing, plus they add that that human element. Nobody likes to find insurance. I mean, even me, and I, I live and breathe this stuff, but it's it's a pain if you move, in my case, my, my personal lines account um, to another company and you go through that whole process. It's time consuming. But generally, if you stick with a company for a while, you do it once, you spend several hours doing it perhaps, and then all you have to do is update it when something changes or, or on an annual basis. And the real test is at claim time. If all you've got is a phone app at claim time and there's an adjuster that shows up from somewhere and they say, well, this isn't covered or you're only entitled to this or that, what do you do? The average consumer has no or business person has no idea whether what they're saying is true or not or accurate and they have no one advocating for them. So the the, the true test of the customer experience is that they have a claim and that it's covered completely. You know, it's funny. Um, uh, uh, a, a mutual, we'll call her a friend slash acquaintance slash thought leader in the industry, uh, Sheffy Ben Hutta, uh, from Coverager, who I have a ton of respect for. She wrote an article that actually we, we both kind of were talking a little bit about Um and you've referenced it a few times. So even though you didn't know the name before, I know you've read it. It's called uh, InsureTech is Not Well. I'll put a link in the show notes. This is episode, uh, this is going to be episode number 86. Uh, so you can go to agencynation.com uh, forward slash podcast, look for episode 86 or look for Bill's smiling face and uh, and I'll have a link to this this uh, article as well. But um, she, she uh, kind of, and, 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 and Chevy's kind of snarky in a, in, a, in, a, in a very endearing way. But um, uh, she made reference to the fact that, um, and I'll actually read it, uh, uh, pundits with a love for people will rationalize the use of independent agents with, it's a relationship business followed by advocacy, and yet insurance equals contract equals law, and the law is a precise endeavor, which is precisely why when education and transparency go up, advocacy goes down, and so will the need for for insurance agents. Okay, that's her opinion. Now, my opinion has always been uh, people can bang on advocacy all they want right up until the time they have a claim. And then all they're looking for is an advocate. Right. So the minute Sheffy is struggling with lemonade to get her renter's insurance uh, claim paid and doesn't understand why the adjuster isn't covering X when it feels like X should be covered, especially if she's in a New York City apartment and the building, you know, her policy is beams in, but the the um, the building is is is, you know, it makes you cover the full apartment. I mean, these are the kind of things that happen all the time with renters insurance related claims, especially in Manhattan high rises uh, or, or really anywhere in in the major um, New York City metropolitan area. And uh, in those moments, the thing that you want most in the world is an advocate against the carrier and the adjuster. Um, you know, I, so how do you, how does an independent agent sell that, right? Because it's, you just said, homeowners claim every 10 years with a renter's policy. It may even be larger. I don't actually know if there's a difference. Um, and, or maybe it's less. But, you know, you, a, a, an auto claim every we'll call it five to seven years. So it could be, you could write someone's insurance and they literally do not have a claim for half a decade. How do you, how does an agent sell advocacy when you know 
Five years from now, that person is going to be dying to get you on the phone to ask you questions and, and will need your help to make sure that everything is adjusted properly. We, it, you know, it's, uh, I forget the company or I'd give them credit, but there was a series after one of the tornadoes in the Midwest, there was a company that what they did was go and videotape in an interview format people that uh, they had taken care of. And it, it was extremely compelling because I remember one, it was a young couple and she broke down and was crying and they were just so thankful that they had the right coverage and they were treated right and, and all that. And I think since most people don't often experience claims and many of the claims they do experience are handled fine. I mean, you, you, you get distracted, you run off, you bang into a telephone pole or something, you get your car paid for there. There's any dis, uh, any disagreement. It's probably about the value or the repair costs or whatever, but generally it's covered so what you do is, is you try to identify, and, and I can tell you from, from working for about 28 years or so at the state and national big eye level, the, the tens of thousands of questions that I got from agents around the country, many of them were questions where a claim had been denied or wasn't fully colored, covered, and the agent was advocating for the insured. And in so many of those cases, I, I would say, not exaggerating, probably 90% of the time where the agent was convinced that the claim was covered, we were able to get the adjuster to their credit to back off and end up and end up paying the claim. So if you can tell those stories, every agency should be able to identify those stories and get testimonials from their customers, you know, preferably on a, a video, but whatever format they can. And that's how you sell. You, you add that human emotional element to it. And I, I wrote another blog post about what, what creates customer loyalty. And I think that the most powerful kind of loyalty is from that relationship or from that emotional connection. And that's one way that agents can easily create that because every agency has those stories to tell. Yeah, I I could not agree with you more. You know, it's it's funny, you know, you say um, insurance insurance carriers and, and our system gets a gets such a bad rap, but uh, the last the last claim that I had was actually an auto claim. A guy backed into me and um, um, I had a Nissan Altima. This is a while ago. And uh, he bet in my front quarter panel popped right out. Um, drove it over to the auto body shop. Um, it was $375 of them, pop it back in. He banged it with a hammer, and I didn't really care about the way it looked, so it worked again. Well, the Safeco adjuster came out, because uh, the guy that hit me had Safeco, and wrote me a check for $650, because he said, there's a, he looked at it, and he said, I, I know you, 375 he goes, I get it. He goes, I'm going to put another $300 on here, because there's a decent chance that in the near future, that thing's going to either pop out again, or there may be more damage underneath, and I want to make sure you're covered for it. And he didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? I would have taken the 375 and I wouldn't ask a single question, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, and it's not a huge claim. So it's not like they're, you know, going underwater for 10 grand. But, um, well, but I think it, it's moments like that, that that don't get highlighted enough in our industry, I don't think. Right, Ryan, I can give you an example and I'll, I'll make it quick. But in 2013, our, our home was hit by a tornado. And uh, we luckily, we didn't have a whole lot of damage to our home, some shingles, shutters, stuff like that. But we had, uh, we had a lot of tree damage, much of which normally isn't covered. 
so we had 19 trees down in our yard, and I, I happened to be with Safeco at the time, my personal lines account, and the adjuster was fantastic. The guy showed up within hours, and there was widespread damage here, so I know he was he was under under a heavy workload. Showed up, the guy was very smart. He was very professional. He was very fair. There were things that we negotiated on where there, the coverage was iffy, and most of the times where it was iffy, he cited on, on, on my side of it being covered or if there was a discrepancy about the mount. And I, I did the same thing. I had a chip in my front door. He was going to replace the entire door, then found out he would have to replace the casing, the transom, the, the, the glass panels. So something that was going to be $300 was going to be more like four or $5,000. And I told him, I said, take the door off, put some wood putty on it and repaint it and we'll be happy. So that's the kind of thing when you have a good relationship with a carrier and, and the relationship was at a personal level. Me and another guy having a meeting of the minds and there were no phone apps or anything like that involved. And, and uh, all too often, you're right, we overlook those kinds of stories. We're, we're terrible as an industry in telling all the wonderful things that we do for people. All they see about our industry are the incessant price, price, price focused advertising. They don't hear the human side. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, if, if, if you carried the torch of changing that, I, I hope to a certain extent uh, I'm, I'm helping you carry that because I, I completely agree with you. Um, and th- using things like video and, and social media and, and the various tools that are at our, our disposal for distributing messaging today, um, it just makes it easier to get these stories out and, uh, and we need to take advantage of them when we can. So, you know, we have, we have just a couple minutes left and um, I, I want to uh, swing us back to, to InsureTech just to, to finish up real quick. Um, one of the things that always interests me about the various businesses, one of the very first places that I look um, when I'm kind of assessing the legitimacy of a, of a new entrant is the actual insurance side business model, not what their marketing model is because marketing is marketing is marketing, right? Um, but what is the insurance side business model? Are they just a lead generator? Are they really just an e-agent? Are they an actual carrier? Uh, do they have a carrier behind them? Uh, if they do have a carrier, what is their, you know, what's their underwriting model to a certain extent that they're using? You know, you look at someone like Lemonade, fancy marketing, they're charging $5 a month for renter's insurance in New York City. I had a relatively small claim uh, for a renter's insurance policyholder that I had who was on the um, 30th floor of a high-rise apartment building in New York City when I was selling insurance. And uh, just a a very small water leak um, from his kitchen sink caused $450,000 in damage in that apartment building. So here's a kid who uh, just had a leaky faucet and forgot to turn it off it all the way. And we had a $450,000 property loss. And um, I can't imagine that that underwriting model lasts. I mean, if, if, if another hurricane or tropical storm plows into New York City, I mean, that's major yeah. damage right there. I mean, that's how does I don't understand how that underwriting model uh, holds up. So my question is not specifically about lemonade, but I guess what I'm asking you is, are there any business models out there that you see that some of these new entrants have that that interests you that you're looking at it and saying, you know, this this company could be a player um, and, you know, in whatever sh- shape or form doesn't have to you know completely transform the business, but but has a niche they can carve out, has a has a future um, in our in our industry. 
You know, one thing, it, you know, sticking for a second with with uh, with Lemonade is, to their credit, they are using ISO forms and not some crappy forms. My son moved to an apartment. They offered to sell him insurance through some some uh, vendor they had a relationship with, and it was pure junk. It was it wasn't even as good as an HO old ISO HO one form. Very limited, uh, fifty thousand dollars in liability coverage, and as you point out. The the liability exposure in a renter's policy can be far greater than a regular homeowner's policy. I I used to live in an apartment in in Nashville, and a tenant negligently with a barbecue grill burnt down a twelve or sixteen unit apartment building and all the the belongings in it. Luckily, no one was injured. But imagine the liability exposure that guy has living in a building like that that he burned to the ground. So uh, their, their products appear to be pretty good. But it, looking at, at the, from an insurance standpoint, one company that I've written favorably about, in fact, they contacted recent, me recently and, and asked me or gave me the opportunity to go into their system, which I haven't done yet, but it's Insurian. And they, uh, they, I went in and played around uh, before they contacted me with their system for a small contractor and it wasn't, uh, we can write your business in two to three minutes. It was as rigorous a series of questions as probably an awful lot of agents would ask about the contractor. It was kind of, I'm not sure you'd call it AI. It was just a, a, a branching of questions. Depending on what your answer was, it would ask you a different question. And I went on through that thing for probably close to 30 minutes and still wasn't through. But I was very impressed with the kind of questions that they were asking that would identify the exposures a typical contractor would have. So yeah, there. I think there are folks out there that are doing things that are real interesting, that really understand the business and what it's all about. And as you alluded to a minute ago, when you get down to it, forget the insure tech, forget the relationships, all that stuff. The insurance product still boils down to a complex legal contract. It may be 15 pages long. It may be 160 pages long. But there's there's a limit to how much you can automate down to a minute or two or three, and at claims time when you're dealing with a complex legal contract. So uh, I think there are some some of these folks that get it, but there are clearly others that don't, and I question why they're even in in the business. Yeah, well, I do hope that uh, that the not that I'm not that I would consider myself pro-regulation in general but uh i do hope that the various state insurance departments and 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 national uh boards and whatnot um i do hope that they don't get caught up in the in the shiny new thing to a certain extent i uh i know lemonade definitely uses good forms there's no doubt about it you can't knock them there so so uh you know that that i think is is a wonderful thing um I worry about the pricing that they've been allowed to put into the market, um, especially you know the fact that that New York State and California and I think Illinois and a couple others have allowed it as well um, scares me. You know what I mean? How do you if you if you're writing a standard Travelers H04 uh, by a company that's been in business for 160 years that you know pays claim you know is is known for 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 finding ways to pay claims at least at least in New York state that was always our thought and our agency was if you can write somebody with New York Central Mutual or Travelers and 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 Safeco to a certain extent they look for ways to pay claims they're not trying to hose you um well you know their pricing i mean they've 
over how you know how much legacy of, of history in the industry have learned you can't price an HO4 at five dollars a month uh, and have it be an effective way to create reserves and, and all the things that you need to properly operate an insurance business and yet uh, the pricing model that some of these insure techs get is is scary so yeah, that's that's a big one I I, uh, I wrote a blog article about whether their pricing structure was sustainable and that we both know Chris Brand a consultant in out of Colorado Chris wrote an article recently in his newsletter where he crunched some numbers and just doesn't think that it's possible that they could keep selling at $5. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But it, it is, there is concern there because whoever the underwriting carrier is and the reinsurer, it, at some point, if, if it's not sustainable and, and, and they went under, then all the other insurers playing it the right way are going to have to pick up from the guarantee fund for them. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, yeah, well, we will get into that. Bill, uh, this has been tremendous. Thanks for spending some time with us. Um, where can people uh, read more of your stuff, follow along with you uh, today? Where's the best place to connect with you? Uh, just head to my website, insurancecommentary.com. I have a, a regular blog there. It goes out weekly. I may have one, two, three, four posts in any given week, but that's uh, that's the best way to, po- to follow me. And I tell people, I hope I don't come across as this angry old man that's telling the insure tech kids to get out of his yard, but somebody needs to be challenging the the hype and the hyperbole of some of these folks. Bill, and I'm glad that you are. Uh, I have, uh, over the course of my career, I've gained a tremendous amount of respect for you and your work, and it's just been an absolute pleasure to spend 30 minutes with you. So I will have links uh, for everybody. I will have links to Bill's website as well as connect with Bill on LinkedIn, and we'll catch you next time on Agency Nation Radio. Thanks, everyone.